rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. Everybody, welcome to episode 203 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I've got a couple of clip shows for you as I steam toward the end of season four of The Adventures of Superboy. I have episodes 17 and 18, Who is Superboy? and Cat and Mouse, with the latter of which is written by series star Ger- Gerard Christopher. However, before I get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen, episode 192, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. These were a couple of fun stories, I thought. Jackson and Hyde was a fun take on the Jekyll and Hyde story, and you can really see that Robert Levine was having fun stretching a bit with the character of Jackson. I liked your statement that, normally, Jackson is the Perry White of this show, and that's a good way to describe him, but even Perry got the spotlight in The Adventures of Superman a few times. I thought one difference from the usual Jekyll and Hyde story was that the Alexis seemed to caused both the good and bad extremes to appear, unlike in Stevenson's novel in which where in which Doc, Dr. Jekyll was the, quote, good personality. I didn't re- really realize the Superboy didn't make an appearance until so late in the episode until you pointed it out. For that matter, Clark wasn't used that much in the episode either. It really was Jackson's episode. For me, Mind Games as a Luther-focused episode was even more fun. You're right that Sherman Howard, as a writer, had a much better grasp of the character of Luthor than he did of Superboy. But that only makes sense since, as an actor, he must have spent much more time thinking about Luthor and his motivations. Even so, having Superboy and Luthor trapped together in a confined space is a really good concept, although it might have been too talky for some younger viewers who probably want more action. I agree with you that Superboy should have let Luthor go and go after him later so that he could help Lana. Superboy slash Superman should always put the safety of people before capturing a criminal or even saving himself, if it should come to that. I must say I was at first surprised that Superboy melted the lead with his heat vision because to my Silver Age brain, he shouldn't be able to do that. Originally, Superman used the, quote, heat of his X-ray vision to melt things. And since his X-ray vision was ineffective against lead, when heat vision became a separate power, it too was ineffective against lead. I don't recall where at this point, 1991, the comic stood on this point. So maybe he could melt lead with his heat vision. In any case, he could have melted the lead by heating up the rocks that the lead was in or near with that heat melting the lead. It's a small but probably unimportant point, but I need to justify it in my own head. I'm looking forward to next week's show, but I'm really looking forward to the final episode of Season 3, the two-part The Road to Hell. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, Yeah, Dave brought up a couple good points in this letter and uh, a couple that I want to address. Mostly mind games. Since I haven't read the Stevenson novel, Jekyll and Hyde, I can't really speak to accuracy with regards to uh, the show. But uh, obviously, uh, just as a fictional trope, the idea of uh, Jekyll and Hyde is very common to the point where the trope kind of transcends the novel and has become part of popular culture. 
But yeah, this was really uh, Jackson's time to shine. And I think this is the only episode to really focus on him, even though the series finale, Rites of Passage, kind of focuses on him a little bit. <laughs> at least in the sense that it gets him out of the office for a little bit. I can't think of any other time at this point where Jackson had even left the Bureau, other than Standoff, where they were all outside of the Bureau set. But yeah, you're right, Clark wasn't really moved that much either, just to kind of uh, push the plot along and read about the Elixir. As far as this particular episode of coverage goes, Mind Games was definitely the star, and it was fun. And yes, Sherman Howard, like I said, had a much better grasp of Luthor than he did at Superboy. And yeah, I totally agree that it makes sense as well. And Dave's con comment that this might have been too talky for some younger viewers who probably want more action. Like, what do you mean there, Dave, by younger viewers? I was probably about 10 when that episode came out. And even at 10 years old, that was one of my favorite episodes. So how much younger are you going, Dave? But then again, I like stuff like that. So maybe, maybe I'm the oddity. I don't know. So, uh, and it's also nice to see Dave agreeing with my comment on the ending of that. But the, here is the point where Dave and I are going to differ a little bit. As he says that he was surprised that Superboy melted the lead with the sea vision. And this is where uh, Dave's Silver Age brain tends to get a little addled. There is no reason why even in the Silver Age, Superman shouldn't be able to melt lead. Because if anything gets hot enough, it's going to melt. I mean, the whole concept of x-rays not really being able to see through lead was because of the molecular density of uh, lead. And I don't know what that does to the melting point of the top of my head. But, you know, for, for a man who can uh, probably light a sun with his heat vision, there's no reason why he should be able to melt a little bit of lead. And, you know, maybe he's not directly melting the lead, you know. If he were to put lead in an oven, maybe a very high oven, but uh, which heats the air around it, it would still melt because... The environment is so hot, so there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to melt lead. His heat vision is going to raise the temperature no matter uh, whether he can see through something or not. But, and Dave is right, we are spending far too much time talking about this small or unimportant important point. No matter what his heat vision heated up, it heated up something enough to melt lead. And even though he can't see through it, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to, to melt it, not... And that's where my uh, brain stands. And to be fair, lead shouldn't even be an issue anymore because, uh, you know, we're taking out so many, uh, you know, lead paint has been gone since the 70s. And we're kind of taking out lead where any place people go, really. Who's building with lead these days? Other than the criminals who want to block Superman's X-ray vision. And even then, it doesn't really do any good. Think about it. Superman's flying over, over the wharf looking for something. Ten warehouses. One is lined with lead. Which one is going to stand out? So even without seeing through lead, he can see through lead. So that's all I got. The brain is not really producing any more coherent thoughts. So I'm going to take a uh, quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, we're going to find out who is Superboy. Hang around, folks. Batman Nightcast is back with new episodes and a new mission. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. The new Nightcast chronicles the Dark Knight Detective's greatest adventures from our favorite comic book creators. What a novel approach, talking about the comics we actually enjoy. I know, right? Highlights from this bold new era of Batman Nightcast include... The Joker's Laughing Fish. The Saga of Ra's al Ghul. Is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Okay. Batman vs. the Man-Bat. 
and the first appearance of villains like Clayface 3 and the Ventriloquist. Plus more great stories by the likes of Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Alan Grant and Norm frickin' Brayfogle. Irv Novick. Don Newton. Doug Munch. Dick Sprang. Max Allen Collins. No, what? Just messing with you. Wasn't funny. Batman Nightcast, every month from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to lead things off with Who is Superboy? Original broadcast date is March 1st, 1992. Directed by Robert Weimer and written by Stan Berkowitz. Guest cast, and this is really the only guest cast member in the episode. Everybody else is from clips. Brett Rice as Whitehead. Now, as far as the guest stars from previous episodes, Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor. Tracy Roberts as Darla. Joe Candelora as the governor. Bob Barnes as the warden. Barry Myers as Bizarro. Shanna Jacobs as Bizarro Lana. Gregory Millar as Llewellyn. Christine Moore as Princess Neela. Or, as I like to call her, not Maxima. Bill Painter as the police officer. Kyphus Matthews as the security guard. Kelly Aaron as the werewolf. Rod Ball as the worker. And our synopsis was brought to you by Wikipedia. An intelligent computer that can recreate events in amazing detail arrives at the Bureau. But how? I mean, there weren't any video cameras there. How could I know what it all looked like? All it needs to recreate an incident are some pictures of the location, a couple of snapshots of the participants, and an eyewitness account. But that's not the best part. The computer's hooked into over a thousand data banks throughout the world. It could tell you almost anything about these people. Want me to bring up, say, Darla's medical records? Uh, that's all right. So, what do you think? I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> Understandable. I'll tell you what. I'm going to leave this thing here until tomorrow morning. No charge. Use it. Get to know it. Then we'll talk price, okay? Okay? I'm gonna come back here tonight. What for? This computer is gonna tell me something I've always wanted to know. <laughs> What's that? Who Superboy is. Lana used it to analyze multiple incidents involving Superboy with the intention of finding out his secret identity. All of the clues seem to point to a certain co-worker named Clark Kent. When she confronts Clark with this... He was right. Superboy did come back. Just about the same time you did. So where were you? Or don't you remember? Oh, I remember. And I can give you all the explanations you want. But that's not the real issue. No? Then what is? These recreations are based upon your memories. And when Superboy's around, you don't notice me. Are, are you jealous? Jealous? Well, what do you think? It's all over you. Well, I guess I must not be Superboy. I couldn't be jealous of myself, could I? You're just trying to throw off suspicion. I mean, if you're not Superboy, then you'll let me try one more thing. What's that? 
I'm gonna combine all the programs together. And then I'm gonna let the computer decide who Superboy is. Unless you have a problem with that. No problem. I'll even press the key. You wrecked it! As the computer shows them several incidents from previous episodes, Lana realizes... Figured it out. You tricked Luther. You got lucky. You are jealous, aren't you? Always it luck? He's always got a plan. Even if it's taking a second identity? Yeah, yeah even that. I'm not sure, but if I know Superboy, he's always got a reason for everything he does. Maybe to protect himself. Or us. Or us. Lana? What are you doing? I must have been crazy. Huh? I deleted everything. But I thought you wanted to find out I who did. But if he wants to keep something secret from us, I think we should respect him. Don't you think? Now how about that pizza? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hungry anymore. Maybe tomorrow? I have to, uh... Go. I wouldn't dream of stopping you. This episode is a clip show, and ironically, the next episode is a clip show as well, which is very bizarre. <laughs> I don't, I can't think of any time that I have seen two episodes of any show back to back be clip shows. The people who had to, uh, I would say that would be a nightmare on, on whoever had to go back and find the clips, but I am guessing that the writer knew what clips he wanted. So I guess he's the one who had to do all the watching to figure out exactly what he wanted. But, you know, this is kind of thing is done to save money. Only one set is used in the uh, present time of this episode, and that's the Bureau. Very few guest stars. Just the uh, computer deal, the whitehead at the beginning. Everyone else is gone. So it's really what's happening in the present is just Lana and Clark. And actually, you're going to see the same thing in the next episode where most of the now episodes are Clark and the uh, psychiatrist. They do create an office for her, but 
I didn't look very closely, but who knows? That could be just a redressed bureau set. Anyway, the episode starts with Superboy flying into a fl- onto the screen, and it's a flashback. And, you know, what do you know? Something at the clip show. It's almost hard to believe that it's starting with a clip. As uh, it's from season three, the first time Lex and Bizarro teamed up. I believe that was the Bride of the, the Bride of Bizarro two-parter. So it starts with that. And the clip show is basically Lana's investigation of the past. And apparently this computer can recreate events just from a little bit of evidence. Photos, eyewitness accounts, things like that. And it actually constructs the scene as if it actually happened. You know, you know, everybody talks about in uh Star Trek, the original series, uh, the two part of the menagerie where Spock is showing everybody very uh, well-produced and edited TV clips of uh, the events of the cage. And that's one of, some, one of us things we all kind of point at. It's, uh, uh, you know, huh, they're not secu- no security cameras and all that. It's all well-produced and uh, maybe the Telosians use this computer. And I did like the fact that, he, I think it's Matt even points out that how does it recreate the events when there were no cameras or or as much video. I mean, it's not like now where everybody uh, has a, what back then they would have called a camcorder in their pocket. I mean, now I can imagine this thing would, this kind of thing would be very easy because everyone's got a, a phone that can shoot video. Now, back in 1991, not so much. So Whitehead tells them that they're, uh, he'll leave the computer with the bureau for the night so they can, you know, mess around with it, see if they want to buy it. So Lana is going to use it to find out who Superboy is. And obviously she's going to do this at night when nobody's around. So that is how we're going to get our whole bunch of clips. So the uh, the first episode we flash back to is Neela, the one where she shows up asking for uh, the Superboy because she wants to marry him. Lana is looking at the crowd at the Neela fight, and she's assuming Superboy has to be there, which is kind of a faulty assumption because, and this is kind of the flaw in, and Clockwood will point this out to her, this is the flaw in Lana's uh, detective work here. She's not taking into account Superboy super hearing. The way Neela was carrying on, he could have heard Neela from across town. He didn't have to be right on the street to, to hear about it. So one th- thing that's going to be very clear in this episode, that it's basically going to take some of the greatest hits from season three, and mostly from season three, not too much season four, in really either episode. I mean, this show basically treats the first few seasons as if they don't exist, especially the first one. So first we get some... So first we get some shots from Neela, and then we get some more clips from Werewolf, and we see the crowd there, and there's Clark, and uh, so we see Clark and uh, Superboy kind of in both clips, not together, of course, because they're directly from the episode, but we see that Clark was present at both the Neela incident in Capital City and the Werewolf incident in at Universal Studios in Florida, in Orlando. So after the Werewolf, the computer shows that only Clark and Lana were at both locations, and now uh Clark now suggests that Superboy can be anybody and change his appearance, you know, pretty much at will. And, you know, honestly, it shouldn't really be any surprise to Lana that both she and Clark were at both locations. They were both kind of uh, working the case in both episodes, so one does not necessarily beget the other. So now we go back to Mindscape, and I have noticed so far that the machine never shows Clark run off, you know, as he did, as we always see him do in the episodes. You know, just as I'm watching this, I'm wondering... Uh, what it's like for Clark to see uh, that thing choking. So uh, the computer doesn't recognize anybody in, in this crowd at the Bureau. And I'm not sure how it goes about identifying people. I mean, does it 
latch on to like government databases and whatnot? Is everything sufficiently online in 1991 for it to do that? Or 1992 for it to do that? I mean, now it probably is, but was it then? And if it can recognize people in the Neela crowd, how come it can't recognize the random people that show up at the Bureau and were there for the Mindscape incident? You know, something doesn't track. I mean, but again, it shouldn't be a surprise that Clark was present at all three events. They, they were working the case in the other two instances. And in this one, this happened in Clark's workplace. So him being there shouldn't be as much of a surprise to Lana as she seems to act. So this is the point where Lana, where Clark realizes that Lana thinks that he's Superboy. And he kind of has the same nervous laugh that uh, Christopher Reeve gives in Superman 2. When Lois suggests that to him after the uh, rescue at Niagara Falls. So here it is. Lana is convinced that Clark is Superboy. And apparently the next clip is going to help her prove it. Which comes from the day in a double life. Lana gets suspicious because Clark wasn't there behind her. If you remember, she she and Clark were up in uh, that big window at the top of the bureau talking. And there's a mime messing around in the uh, on the manhole cover. Directing all the traffic and uh, or, or... it's causing a big mess, and uh, Clark leaves to go change the Superboy, but uh, Superboy went missing, and Clark wasn't there. So, interesting question. Where is Clark when Superboy shows up? Clark, I think, tells that he remembered he had to make a phone call at that moment. Hell of a moment to remember you have to make a phone call, but uh, I guess you remember these things when you remember them. Obviously, we know that that's not the case. And yet, she asks more questions. Uh, what's his excuse when Superboy lost his memory? Where was he then? So, And she points out that Clark returned around the same time Superboy returned from Amnesia. And Clark says that the flaw in the program is that it's based on Lana's memories. And like I said in the synopsis, when Superboy is around, she doesn't notice Clark. That's a good point. I mean, granted, he's not there because he is Superboy. There's no two ways around that. But if they were two different people, she probably wouldn't notice him. So Lana thinks that he's jealous and Clark takes that as vindication and that he's not Superboy. He can't be jealous of himself. But Lana is still not buying it. You know, she's zeroed in on Clark is Superboy. And, well, the problem is she's right about everything. He is trying to throw off suspicion. He's doing exactly what she thinks he's doing. He's kind of gaslighting her. But, you know, in this context, we're supposed to go with it because it's for the greater good. She knows. She's figured it out. But she wants to try one more thing. She's going to combine all the programs and let the computer work it out. This kind of reminds me of the John Byrne issue, uh, Superman two, number 2 from 1987, when the character, I believe her name was Amanda McCoy. She typed all this, all the information that was known about Superman into this computer and it spit out that Clark Kent is Superman. And she showed that to Lex Luthor and uh, Luthor didn't buy it because that's how Luthor is. He didn't believe that anybody with Superman's powers would deign down to live the life of a human because... That's not something he can understand. So Clark is so convinced that he's, uh, I'm not sure what Clark is actually trying to accomplish here, but he just hits a button to identify here. Here, I'll do it for you. And the computer goes haywire and he's cross-referencing all kinds of stuff as it processes. And Lana is uh, freaking out. Wait, what did you do? What is it doing? Well, this is kind of like watching my parents use the computer. My dad calls his calls computer programs that he doesn't know how to work hostile because he thinks they're out to get him. He thinks they're not working just to screw with him. So eventually it uh, settles on the events of Rebirth, and Clark had an explanation for this absence. I believe it was his father being injured. Now we go to Mind Games. Uh, Clark wasn't even in this episode. 
And uh, now we go to body swap. And here's Superboy uh, nearly strapped to the electric chair in Lex Luthor's body. Uh, nobody was asking where Clark was during all this. I don't know how long this went on, but Clark was gone for all of this. And this is when Lana realizes, due to the plan to get his body back from Lex Luthor, is that Superboy always has a plan. And maybe he has a reason for everything he does, even keep a secret identity. <laughs> so literally, with one second away from finding out who Superboy might be, she deletes the program. Could you imagine trying to find anything coming that close to maybe getting your answer and to suddenly change your mind and say, no, you don't want it? I couldn't. But now she has her new epiphany that if he wants to keep it a secret, she's going to respect it. Eh, it doesn't wash. So when Clark changes his mind about the pizza due to a burglar alarm, Lana impulsively plants a kiss on his face and she says that she wouldn't dream of stopping him. I think she knows. She she deliberately went to kiss Clark to see if it's the same as kissing Superboy, who she has kissed before. She doesn't say anything, just the I wouldn't dream of stopping you kind of makes me think that she knows. This show is not an ongoing narrative, so there's no way to know. She will spend a great deal of this time in the series finale trying to prove it, but not this time. And But we do get a nice shirt rip as... Clark leaves and the episode ends. <sighs> Clip shows. I'm honestly amazed I talked about this episode as much as I did. There actually is quite a bit to say about the process and what Lana's dealing with and what she's trying to do, but it's not a bad way to format a clip show as making it part of an investigation, unlike some, you know, some eighties sitcoms will just will have a clip show. You know, again, it's a way to save money, but they'll do that clip show just basically looking to the full album. Oh, remember this, and then we go to remember that. At least there's a point here. All right, so let's move on to our next clip show after this uh, podcast promo break. Hang around, folks. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire & Water Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. Going to finish this episode off with... Cat and Mouse, original broadcast date was April 19th, 1992. So this was uh, quite a few, about a month and a half after Who is Superboy. So maybe that helps soften the blow a little bit to the extent that maybe people didn't realize they watched two straight clip shows because there were six weeks between them. I don't think you could have run Who is Superboy and this episode, Cat and Mouse, two weeks in a row. People, people probably be a little pissed about that. Two straight clip shows. Well, here's the next one. Cat and Mouse, directed by Peter Kiewit and written by Gerard Christopher, Superboy himself. Guest cast includes Erin Gray as Samantha Myers, and she's the only real guest star in the episode. The rest are off archive footage. So, here we go. Stuart Whitman as Jonathan Kent, Salome Jens as Martha Kent, Michael Owens as Mayal, Paul Darby as Captain Quentin, Michael Balin as Lieutenant Fulton, Kevin Benton as Desmond, 
Christine Moore as Princess Neela, well, there she is again, Robert Miano as Garrett Waters, Michael DeBar as Adam Burrell, Walter Hook as Anatoly, Frank Hillenburg as Dave, and George Myers as the Bureau staff member. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia. Clark is forced to see a psychiatrist in order to keep his job at the Bureau. Clark? Up here? Where's Mr. Jackson? He's in D.C. trying to fight what's going on here. Well, what is going on here? The Bureau's making some cutbacks, and your position's one of the ones that's being eliminated. But the good news is that we figured out a way to keep you on board by promoting you to a GS-9. Let me get this straight. My position's being eliminated, so they're giving me a promotion. It's a government thing. Just go with it. It'll mean more responsibility, more money, and a free psychiatric evaluation. So, there's nothing to worry about. Wait a minute. A what? It's no big deal. It's just a formality, really. The higher your security level, the more they check you out. Here's the address. There's an examiner waiting to see you now. I don't want to go to a psychiatrist. Why not? Everybody does these days. Heck, they put it on their resumes in Los Angeles. It's not like it's an obstacle course. You just lie there and answer some questions. As long as you got nothing to hide, there's no problem. I just don't like the idea of it. I mean, if there's any way around this, I would just... I don't know what to tell you. You like your job here, don't you? Of course I do. I, I love it. Well, if you don't go, I'm afraid you won't have one to love. Like I said, I'd love to go. The psychiatrist, uh, Samantha Myers, is, uh... Asking him questions about his mental health and uh, who, who he is, about he, whether he lies, and he must answer truthfully without compromising his Superboy identity. Pretty boring stuff, huh? There's nothing really very special about me. I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy. Good. Then you needn't be so nervous. You like puzzles? <clears throat> puzzles are like people. It's my job to ferret out all the pieces and make sure they fit. They look really hard. Yes, they are. Please. Why don't you lie down, Mr. Kent? You and I are going to get better acquainted. Just relax. Think of me as someone to confide in. But I already have someone to confide in. As a matter of fact, I have two people. My parents. I can't think of a better place to start. Why don't you tell me about them? Well, they're two of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. I can tell them anything. So what does that tell you? About your parents? That you had a loving, supportive family. Then I guess I must be normal. Well, John Hinckley had a loving, supportive family. It sounds to me like your parents are a substitute for close peer relationships. Do you have a social life? Do you have a girlfriend? 
No. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Could you expand on that? Well, uh, I guess we've had our ups and downs. There's a part of me that she really likes, maybe even loves. But there's another part of me that she just likes as a friend. What are your feelings for her? I guess I love her. You guess? I, I do love her. Have you ever told her? No. Because I'm not sure if being with me would be the best thing for her. And I would never want her hurt. Why would being involved with you cause her to be hurt? Very interesting. Don't you think you'd be more comfortable lying down? You keep referring to yourself in two parts, almost as if you think of yourself as two different people. Would you say that's accurate? Do you see yourself as two people? Sometimes. But doesn't everybody see themselves as somebody else at some time or another? Mr. Kent, from the moment you walked into my office, you have been careful. Careful of my questions, careful of your answers. Even your body language is careful. And in my experience, people who are careful are usually hiding something. What are you hiding? Nothing, really. I don't believe you. But then again, we'll know soon enough. It is now time to move to our next examination. However, unsatisfied with his answers, Meyer straps him to a lie detector, and he may be forced to take desperate measures. Okay. Comfy? Good. And now we can get into the really interesting questions. Have you ever committed a crime? Um, I thought I did once. What do you mean? Did you ever commit a crime? But I found out later that it wasn't really my fault. So then, no, you didn't commit a crime? No, I guess I didn't. Okay, then you've never been involved in any illegal activity. Well, I didn't say that. What did you say? Well, there was this other time. I almost did something very wrong. I had been misled by this other person and... Okay. Let me put it another way. Have you ever willingly committed a crime? Since you put it that way, no. Finally. Thank you. You see, you just have to learn to phrase your questions a little better. All right. The next one's easy. Have you ever willingly destroyed public or private property? Only in emergencies. Fine. Next question. Have you ever lied to a coworker or a superior in anything work-related? What precisely do you mean by lied? This is a nightmare. Will you stop 
Will you stop fidgeting? Have you ever, have you ever knowingly deceived anyone? I always try to be honest, but sometimes I can't. Sometimes I feel like I should hold back information for other people's own good. All right, uh, the tough ones are out of the way, so uh, on to the more mundane. Have you ever used an alias? What exactly do you mean, Doctor? I think the question is obvious. Have you ever used another name? I said, are you known by any name other than Clark Kent? And after the final question that Myers asked him, Clark shakes his hand really fast and causes the and causes the lie detector machine to catch fire and ending the session. I guess that's it, right? I guess so. I certainly have enough data. Let me just check to make sure that I've covered everything. How did I do? I'm afraid that I'm going to have to recommend that they defer putting through your promotion. What? Why? Because I don't think you've got what it takes to be a GS-9. But... I'm sorry, but that is my evaluation. I'm sorry, Doctor, but I think you've made a mistake. I'm conscientious, honest, hardworking, and unlike some other government employees who are there just to pick up a paycheck, I'm there because I care. And if you don't think that I'm an asset the government should keep, I'm prepared to file an appeal with your superior. I love my job, and I'm ready to fight to keep it. Very good. I mean it. I know you do, and I'm delighted to hear it. My reports from your superiors are that you are a good employee, but that you are usually meek and self-deprecating. I was just checking to see if they were right. So does that mean I passed? My report will be at your office tomorrow. Oh, by the way, it was very interesting. That it was, Mr. Kent. That it was. Dr. Myers seems to think you're a pretty interesting guy, Clark. So how'd I do? Well, she said she'd love to keep you on the couch for another year or so, but that you'd probably make a great GS9. So I passed? Yeah, you passed. <laughs> Congratulations. You just earned yourself an extra $12 a month. Here we go. This episode starts with a nice overhead shot of uh, from that top second floor that the Bureau seems to have up those stairs. Matt's looking down, and he calls Clark up to meet him. Clark here is dressed in suspenders and a tie. Must be a big day. Well, the big day is that Clark is getting laid off. However, since the Bureau really likes him and that he's such a good worker, he is uh, going to get the opportunity to keep his job as long as he can pass a psychological exam. 
and he'll get promoted. I'll uh, get a little more money, which which is a great way to uh, not get laid off. Actually, something similar kind of happened to me about 11 or 12 years ago when I was working in a newspaper upstate. My sports writer position was eliminated, and since I had previously applied for an editor's position, didn't get it at the time, they laid off two other news reporters and created a news reporter slash assistant editor position position for me. And it actually worked out rather well for me because I got promoted to editor about five months later. Eventually, I did get laid off from that place, but ways not, why not? But someone is going to get laid off, it's just not going to be Clark. And now, here's the catch. Clark has to get a psych evaluation, and he doesn't want to go. But bottom line is, he has to, or he gets laid off. And I love Matt's comeback here. Clark says, no, no, I love my job. If you want, you want to keep loving it, you got to go to the psychiatrist. And he's right. You can't love your job if you don't have one. So here is Clark looking all kinds of nervous because he does have something to hide. He has plenty to hide. And he's trying really hard to seem normal. And uh, now there's some talk about puzzles and how the uh, psychiatrist, Samantha Gray, seems to treat people like puzzles. And she's going to pull the pieces to see what kind of shape is formed or falls out. So this is the point where we're going to go to the clip show. And the we pay our first visit to Rebirth. Where Clark is, uh, this is where he's talking about his parents, and uh, this is the scene at the dinner table where Clark was doubting his place in the world and his role in it after he believed he killed Winston. So he has to do this all without compromising his secret identity. And honestly, if you ask me, he makes this very difficult for himself. Apparently, it's harder to lie to Dr. Samantha Myers than it is to, to lie to Lana. So Clark is struggling with the uh, do you have a girlfriend question. He shouldn't. It is a rather straightforward question. Either you do or you don't. And this brings us to clips of Superboy trying to save Lana, which is probably not the best way to illustrate her as Clark's friend. Can't he just leave out anything Superboy-related? Although I guess he can just say that he likes Lana and she's infatuated with Superboy. I think what we're seeing here is that Clark is in love with Lana. His fear is him being who he is would cause Lana harm. And the doctor doesn't understand why. You know, Why would somebody uh, be put at risk for being involved with you. And now we move on to seeing all the times that Lana was uh, put at risk to the Superboy, including the moment during Neela where she throws herself off of the building. And he uses his uh, excuse that he puts his work first, which is true. That's uh, common with a lot of workaholics. So now the uh, doctor points out that, now I keep calling the doctor because when I think of my notes, I didn't really remember the name. It's Dr. Myers. But Dr. Myers points out that Clark seems to refer to himself in parts, like he's two different people. That got me thinking. I mean, even though most of us are not making a deliberate deception, I mean, none of us uh, that I know of have uh, two identities. I mean, I don't. But are we all really one person? I mean, we all have our personas. There's work me, there's home me, there's hanging out with my friends me. There is, and I'm going to act differently in all of those scenarios. I mean, it's not that I'm putting on a deception, but different people bring out different parts of you that make a ball. The part of me that is a sports writer and a news writer can offer no help to the part of me that's a parent. Although the news writer does sometimes want to send city council people to their rooms because they act like children. But uh, we all have different parts of us, different personas, and that all make up the whole. It doesn't mean there's a deception going on. It's just that you need certain parts of your personality for certain situations. And sometimes there isn't much, if any, overlap. But 
you know, Clark delineates that even further by being two separate people. When he, quote unquote, at work as Superboy, nobody knows it's him. When I'm at work, everybody knows it's me. So the doctor has noticed how careful Clark is. His answers and body language are all very careful. And she's going to take this one step further. The next examination is a lie detector. And the look on Clark's face is priceless when he hears that. And he looks like he's going to be sick. Part of me is wondering, is this even legal? So, the first question she asks him, did he ever commit a crime? Okay, so we, we go back to rebirth here. He thought he killed someone during rebirth. He didn't kill Winston. No crime. The answer is no. He overcomplicated this answer by talking about how people thought he did and how this person actually made him think that he did. But then he realized that he didn't. No, the it is a yes or no question, Clark. Did you ever commit a crime? No. He's being far too honest. I mean, I know he can't lie, but there's just no reason to tell her that all this stuff. He never committed a crime. Answer is no, the bottom line. So then we go back to uh, Wish for Armageddon, Gerard Christopher's previous writing credit, where he was tricked by Waters into uh, nearly uh, killing some people. And he has, he's almost tricked into committing a crime, but he still didn't do it willingly. And now he's at the, kind of talking smack to her about how she phrases her questions. Now here's the next one. Has he willingly destroyed private or public property? Well, now we get clips of all the walls he's gone through, cars he's blown over, things he's punched, things he's destroyed. Oh, there goes the portal. There you go. Here, there he goes. Uh, keep visioning the portal and roads not taken. Yeah, he's been a little bit rough on other people's property, that's for sure. But he only does it in emergencies. Fair enough. Have you ever knowingly deceived anyone? <laughs> only always. <laughs> that's what I think. And that, and now we get the uh, festival of lame excuses. And you know, he lost his wallet. He had to go get the pizza. Get, put money in the parking meters. Uh, Hell, there's even a clip from Who is Superboy? How about that? A clip from another clip show. Granted, it wasn't the clip, but it was uh, one of the... It was the moment where Clark talks about how Lana wouldn't uh, notice him if Superboy was around. So, the questions get even harder. And she thinks it's an easy one. Have you ever used an alias? <laughs> Just like uh, the previous question. He's only done that all the time. But he can't say that either. So, in order to get himself out of this... He starts moving his hand really quickly with super speed, and he makes the machine smoke. And Dr. Myers gets an electric shock at the at the alien's question, and the machine catches fire. So while she's not getting a fire extinguisher, Clark blows it out, and uh, you know what? She's done with this crap. She's going to recommend that they defer his promotion. And I think deferring the promotion means he gets laid off. So that's one hell of a deferment. But Clark goes back and said he plans to fight to keep his job. So apparently he was described as meek and uh, self-deprecating, and he showed some backbone when he said he would fight to keep his job, and that must be what Myers was looking for. Because after this little uh, speech, she recommends to him that he can keep his job. And then the punchline is the joke is on him. Yeah, he's getting more money, but it's only 12 bucks a month, which even in 1991 wasn't that much. I wonder if that's before or after taxes. So, uh, the two clip shows. I enjoyed this one more than the first, which isn't what I was expecting. They were both riffs on the same idea, just done in different ways. But the banter between Clark and Dr. Myers seemed a bit more playful than the banter between Clark and Lana. Although I still can't believe we got a flashback from Who is Superboy in this episode. It just seems like a quick turnaround. I mean, it works, but 
Wow. So that's really all I've got on those two episodes. You know, the, the parts that were done in the present were well acted. I mean, this was a clip show, probably a little bit less of one than the Who Was Superboy episode was. I do feel that Dr. Myers had Clark squirming a lot more than Lana did. Maybe because she used to lie to Lana and Lana didn't uh, whip out a, a lie detector, which is probably something that would happen. Probably has happened in a, in a Lois Lane comic. Her putting Superman on a lie detector to find out who she lo- who he loves. So that's all I've got for this episode. Next time, the last two standalone episodes of The Adventures of Superboy. Obituary for a Superhero and Metamorphosis. Until then, feedback's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, we put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? That'll help other people find the show as well. So then, folks, we're all on the same team. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.